Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Happy Feast of the Assumption for 2021. I have a very wonderful episode that I'm going to introduce today, and it involves my interview with singer Aaron Caruso, and he has hit some heartstrings of music in my life and awakening some of the wonderful memories I've had of my grandmother through the years. So I just wanted to start out the podcast interview with this. Through every home that we have once entered as Italian-American children, the sound of some sort of music echoes through our memories. Music was the one language that was and will ever shall never be lost in translation. Italian music, the great crooners, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, even the opera singers, Continue to speak that language of love years after our loved ones have passed. Music is the lifeline that holds strong to the memory of our loved ones. Years before my grandmother passed, she begged us to give her a CD of Dean Martin. She got a new CD player for her apartment, and uh, that was just something that we did. We walked in, and she'd have Dean Martin blaring. We'd have our antipasta, we'd have our salamis, uh, just sitting around the table, enjoying listening to that music. It isn't until you get older and you realize that that music is something that I can hold on to that's still tangibly touchable today, that I can hold on to her memory and her love for what she loved about her culture. Aaron Caruso has a unique connection to Stark County. And through the podcast, you can hear his support that he received through the Stark County Italian American Festival being one of his first festivals that he sang in as a young artist and as he continues to grow his craft and develop and become loved across the nation. I say the Feast of the Assumption today because this is the season for Italian-American festivals. And just to encourage any of of you that are out there listening, make sure that you get out and support your local Italian community. With these festivals, these are tools that we are able to continue to preserve our culture and allow for the rediscovery generation to have a chance to get back in touch with what we are losing with the death of our loved ones generations to come. So have a listen. I hope you enjoy it. Again, as I always invite anyone out there, if you're interested in being interviewed for the podcast, just reach out to me. I'll be more than happy to hear you. Ciao for now. Have a good listen. Um, I first heard you sing, Aaron, in 2005 at the Canton Italian American Festival. It was the summer after my Italian grandmother, Grandma Frances, Nonna Francesca, died. And uh, my mother was feeling very nostalgic. And she decided to walk around um, the Stark County Fairgrounds. And you were singing in one of the pavilions. And my dad is uh, Irish American. However, I think if you, just as a side note, if you marry an Italian, you're IBM, you're Italian by marriage. So, (laughs) (laughs) but he, he, you know, he's grown up or he's, you know, they've been married for over 40 years now and they absolutely love everything and anything Italian. And at the time, 
Josh Groban's song, You Raise Me Up, was the most popular song out there. And you started to sing this. This has been over 16 years ago, and you brought my mother to tears. My Italian grandmother was a diehard fan of the great Italian crooners of the Neapolitan style. Because, you know, in the post-World War II, that's what came over here to the United States. That's what people knew. And um, I grew up hearing Dean Martin every Sunday at our meals. A long time has passed since I've heard you last sing. Uh, reintroduce yourself to Northeast Ohio for me. Sure thing. Well, first of all, Emma, thank you so very kindly for having me on your show. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing that you are doing in, in uh, speaking about these traditions and what's trying to keep them alive and promote them. It's a very worthy cause and our, uh, our goals are aligned very much. Um, so I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to, uh, to meet your audience. Uh, of course, I know that they're all over the place, all over the United States, but the, our friends in Stark County are certainly very special friends. And it's, it's a very special Italian festival for me as well, because um, that's one of the first Italian festivals I sang at um, oh. over, I don't know, I guess, I guess we go back 20, over 20 years ago. Um, I'm talking about the 90s is when I first came to to start uh -huh. me to, to sing there. But my, my name is Aaron Caruso and uh, I'm a singer and uh, I'm trained classically as a, an operatic tenor. But um, I, I too uh, grew up with, with the crooners, the Italian crooners. I got to know them all through my, my grandparents whom I never really met um, that I remember. They left their record collection behind. So I would go over to my aunt's house, yeah. And uh, may they all rest in peace now and, and listen to Jerry Vale, Dean Martin, Sergio Franchi, um, even Mario Lanza, uh, Emilio Pericoli, which he was straight from Italy. That was one of my grandpa's guys, but so many other, uh, you know, crooners and singers, some of them Italian, some Italian American. So I started with that and I, I wanted to be Mario Lanza, the next Mario Lanza. So I started singing when I was about 13 years old and it took, really took a lot of gumption to get to, to for me to go sing for my, my choir director in my little town of Fraser, Michigan, where I grew up. And uh, I was in band, you know, I played trombone and I played piano. So my mom was on my case when she found that I could sing. She'd go sing with the choir director. Cause I said, mom, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm not that good. It's not masculine. It's, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and so I finally did. And uh, it was really quite something. But the way I started singing in the first, I used to play piano first, as I mentioned. And I was, uh, but my mother kind of had an inkling that I would be a singer before I did. I don't know if I used to sing in the car or what, but she, she was very, I lost my, my necklace. My, I don't have it on right now. It's in the other room. My Italian medals that I inherited from my grandfather. Mm -hmm. I was playing football at the park and with my buddies and it somehow got ripped off my neck and I forgot about it. I didn't even notice. And my mom, I came home as a mom. She said, where's your necklace? I said, I don't know. I, I said, oh no, I, I lost it at the park playing football. So she said, well, 
that's it. Uh, you're going to have to, we're going to have to say a special prayer to St. Anthony. St. Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to find it and you and your father go back. So I said, mom, it's been like a week and they come with those metal detectors. It's gone. She said, I prayed to St. Anthony, go get it. So we go to the field. I step out of the car. It was raining. It was muddy. I took about 10 steps. My hand to God. I looked between my feet and there were the medals right between my feet. My hand to God, I got the chills. So I came back, I said, Ma, I found the, the medals. She said, well, I knew you would because I prayed to St. Anthony. I, she said, I prayed that if you found your medals, one day you would sing for him in church. I said, Ma, I'm not a singer, I'm a piano player. She said, well, you better start singing. <laughs> well, I did, and, I, and from there, and I, I ended up going to church first, singing in church, joining the choir. And then I ended up going to sing for my, my choir director. And then through him, Mr. Pasquaretti, he, he kind of pushed me and my, my career took off. So. St. Anthony, there's a St. Anthony's church here in Canton, Ohio, that um, is one of the uh, handful of Italian, pure Italian churches uh, here. And you will see any Italian here have a St. Anthony medal. Or, and then I even, when I studied abroad in Italy, um, I got the chance to go to Padua and I was able to pray at St. Anthony's tomb as well. And I'm like, if I ever lose anything, I always come to me and to remind me to pray and be patient and it will come. Always. Uh, I, I think with all of that, uh, we, you know, uh, we're not patient enough with it, yeah. Right. He always comes through, though. I mean, it's... Oh, definitely. Definitely. Amazing. Um, like you've already touched, um, as Italian-American, music is deeply rooted in the Neapolitan style. I think even Italian movies, uh, movie actors, we have Sophia Loren, uh, who in particular came over and brought a lot of this for the post-World War II generation of Italian-Americans to understand about the Neapolitan style. But a lot of the music too as well, like we prior uh, talked about Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, the Rat Pack is rooted in the Neapolitan style. How has the Neapolitan style inspired your education and your career? Well, that's an interesting question. So, so, um, I think America's fascination with Italians really started off with Rudolph Valentino. You know, uh, in the silent films, um, where you play these dashing characters, sheiks and different, you know, kind of exotic uh, characters, which Italians played well at, the, at that time. That's kind of what they, they really, they really, weren't any Italians in, in film at that time. So yeah. Rudolph Valentino was no. kind of unique. In that yeah. sense. And was kind of like Elvis, you know, people just went crazy for him. But of course, around the same time and, uh, and even earlier, we have the advent of Enrico Caruso, the great, the great tenor who um, brought so much of that music with him. In fact, he was known for doing as encores on the stage of the Metropolitan Opera, where he was the king supreme, he would do Neapolitan songs um, as encores. So 
since that time, every operatic artist until today, when doing a recital or concert with orchestra, after they get done doing their meat and potatoes, when it's time for dessert, they go to the Neapolitan songs always until today. And that's thanks mm -hmm. to Crusoe. So mm -hmm. Crusoe himself was Neapolitan. Um, and he made his fame in, in America, really. Really, he conquered the world, but then he came to the Metropolitan Opera. So there's, a, there's an age-old question, Emma. Did Caruso make the phonograph or did the phonograph make Caruso? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, debate because he really broke all types of records with selling records at that time. I mean, he was setting the records as he was going. But a lot of those tunes that he brought with him uh, were still around today. And they, and they made their way from the Neapolitan to that next generation, which we'll call the crooners. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dean Martins, the Barry Comos, et cetera. They would take those songs such as became I have but one heart my heart I give to you right mm -hmm. so they, they, they anglicized and they would put English word lyrics to them and they became American songs. Um, uh, and that happened, we talked earlier before we got on, on uh, record here about how Italians assimilate so well. We assimilate too well, almost. Um, especially you find that with our music because I'm gonna, I'm gonna call this the genius of the composers mm -hmm. that wrote the Neapolitan songs this great body of work. Um, because a lot of times we'll talk about the American songbook and songs like Fly Me to the Moon, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, there's also a world songbook. And, and I mean, citizens of the world, anywhere you go in the world, arguably the most famous song in the entire world is O Sole Mio, a Neapolitan song written for the Pitigrotta song competition in 1898. And it didn't even win the competition, it took number two. But there was something about that melody. that was just so famous mm -hmm. um, that it just took over the world. And you could also uh, mention that the, uh, the second most famous song in the world is written in the 1860s um, these catch which was actually a commercial for the Italians they, they were afraid to get on the funicular that went up the side of Mount Vesuvius an active volcano and rightly so because here we are in uh, 2021 that, that original funicular has long since been destroyed by the active volcano but the song lives on as one of the most famous I mean if you go to Tibet, they've never heard Happy Birthday, but they know Osulemio. The power of, of what music can do.
for people. It, it doesn't divide. It helps bring people together. Yeah. Always. You know, it, 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 it's interesting. Even, uh, you know, in a couple of my other uh, interviews, I've talked about um, the the racism of Italian Americans as well at some point. And I myself have experienced uh, that from my paternal side, but my paternal grandparents always knew O Solo Mio, always <laughs> knew Fenicula, Fenicula. I wanna make sure I uh, don't get lazy with my pronunciations too. And they always knew Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, everybody. And that music, they're like, oh, but you know, it, but it's music. Uh, the power of what music can do to bring people together to to break down those walls of I'm Italian, I'm Irish, I'm German, I'm African American, anything in that, and the long lasting power, 1860s, is amazing. I never knew that it was that old. It's that old, and I'll tell you something else talking about how our music assimilates. Mm -hmm. It assimilates so well that Elvis Presley was a huge Mario Lanza fan, the great tenor mm -hmm. from the 1950s and movie star. Italian-American from South Philly, uh, Abruzzese. And um, it, he, he loved Lanza so much. When Lanza died in 1959, Elvis went into immediate action and had a song written that was his version of O Sole Mio which is it's now or never. If you think about it, it's the exact same song as also the Neil. So Elvis does it in a G major. It's now or never, come hold me tight. Kiss me my darling, be mine tonight. The exact same song. And it became Elvis's number one selling 45 record of all time. That's the power and the genius mm -hmm. of Neapolitan composers. They made music that was so accessible, it crossed all boundaries, all boundaries. And there are many, many songs that are that old, that are still around today, that are, people think they're American songs, they don't even know them. Uh, the undertone of Italian Americans and if I, it's like okay well if you don't like me because I'm Italian I'm going to sneak underneath and I'm going to incorporate it anyways we're going to get it anyway they're going to yeah. eat and love it might as well hear the music and love it too I mean yeah yeah we invented opera for Pete's sakes the Italians yeah. have invented, <laughs> I mean how could you not like these melodies I mean it's like uh, we, it's like every time you'd, I watched the, my early influences were the three tenors, Pavarotti, Carreras, and Domingo. And I got to see them live in Detroit at Detroit uh, Tigers baseball stadium. And although everybody in attendance applauded fervently for their, and, and passionately for their opera arias, and uh, even stood up on occasion for one or two of them, especially the, the more well-known ones, it wasn't until the people heard the first few strains of they would get why because that body of work those neapolitan songs is so accessible you know 
And I think it touches a heartstring to the purity of everyone's family memories. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I hear those things, I, I flash back and you know, look, I'm, I, my mother's 64 and she hears that and she flashes back to her, to her many, many uncles. And she's like, oh my gosh. And I flash back and I, you know, I remember all the family get togethers, et cetera, like the Sunday dinners and, uh, you know, it's just something that pulls at our heartstrings with that, that has, that is long lasting. And that it, the more that you talk about it, the more I'm amazed by the power of it. Uh, well, you know, kind of almost taking it for granted. It, 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 that's true. I mean, these are cues. These are, um, we're almost hypnotized by it in a sense. Uh, so I have a very dear friend of mine that is going through, um, Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. I mean, to the point that you're in the same conversation thread within three minutes, we'll ask the same question again and completely forget. But when it comes to music, she was a singer. And, and when it comes to music, she remembers every word to every song. She may forget her own name, but those songs are so ingrained in our memory. It's deeper than our regular memory. It goes deeper than it. it's tied in with our emotions. And I think music, as somebody that I, I donate my time a lot to different organizations, uh, old folks homes, or um, when I was in, you know, lived in Connecticut for many years, I would sing at the ACES school for severely handicapped and challenged uh, children. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these kids cannot hear and cannot see. But yet, when I would start singing and doing music, they would respond. So it's like, there's another sense. We talk about the five senses. There's, there's another sense that music touches on that people respond to. I haven't really had the chance to incorporate, um, because I'm a doctor in pharmacy by trade, but I'm a passionate uh, humanist by love. And I love human interactions. Um, in healthcare, there is um, a therapist um, that is called a music therapist. Sure, I, I know. Uh, they will bring music therapists in because of what you are saying, the power of what music can do for people and um, what it can do to help with anxiety, depression, connectability, uh, trying to awaken some of the memories or to, uh, you know, maybe to keep the sundowners from, you know, becoming too much for the patient as well. Uh, the perfect time to interject that uh, with the music therapist, uh, you know, you've got to support the extra people within the healthcare system because they have, like you have discussed, uh, a powerful influence on these people. Absolutely. I have some students that are going into music therapy, some voice yeah. It's a very noble profession. And uh, some of the highlights of my life performing are, have been in those types of settings, in hospitals. Uh, when I was in, um, I went to, I did a couple of years at uh, Case Western University in Cleveland at the Cleveland Institute of Music. I donated my time to the Cleveland Clinic, to the heart, uh, the heart, uh, uh, the, the, the wing, yeah, you'll just put yeah. it that way. Yeah, the Cleveland Clinic is half of Cleveland now <laughs> with how big it is. The city over there. Yeah. Uh, I, 
there were people that came because they knew I, I had a friend, Mr. Depolito. I still remember him. He was, they were from uh, right, not too far outside of Ohio. And he just had major heart. He couldn't talk, but I would come there every week. He loved Pavarotti. He loved, and I would sing all these songs and he just, and his, his um, daughter, Marianne, um, was so kind and so sweet. And thanked and said, oh my, you, you brought my father back. You, it wasn't for you. I said, listen, I didn't do anything. I just sang the music that I love. You're the tool to bring what actually is doing it. Right. I, yeah. I, I hold music up here. I believe it's a gift from God. And mm -hmm. it's that thing that brings people together. So the Italians uh, just happen to be very good at it because they invented it. I mean, they invented <laughs> opera. They invented ballet. I mean, they, they know. Uh, I, I only joke about this and and uh, everybody knows. I, I married a Greek man because, uh, you know, I couldn't find a, a nice Italian guy. And I always tell him, I'm like, well, the Greeks, the Greeks created civilization. However, the Italians perfected it. That's right. There you go. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, they created art, they created me, you know, their little strumming on the music and everything. However, the Italians got a hold of it and we took it and we perfected it. The Sigmund Freud said that Sicily is more Greek than Greece. And uh, as a Sicilian, I can attest to that. You know, they left their mark all over, all over Sicily. There's a lot of Greek DNA there and as there is, I'm sure, Sicilian and, uh, DNA in Greece. And a lot of Italian, a lot of, you know, back and forth that happened. Mm -hmm. I remember being in Italy as a, as a young person studying the language there. And um, we took a, you could take a hydrofoil to, um, uh, was it uh, Crete? I think you could go yes. to Crete. Yeah, so you can go from um, Brindisi, which yes. is, uh, so I, I always talk about Italy in anatomy from uh, the arch of the foot. Right, right. And it will take you over there and you can eventually go from Crete to Athens as well. I right. think the trip takes about nine to 12 hours, give or take. But does, you know, if somebody knows for sure or has ever done the trip, I'd love to know. Yeah, that's a good thing. Because I, I remember being in the, I was in the Tremiti Islands, Lazuli di Tremiti, and, uh, and, and there was mention of uh, taking a hydrofoil to Greece and uh, coming back, you know, so very interesting though, but it's true though, you know, so back to the music though, um, mm -hmm. the, the Neapolitan's uh, music really is Italy's most famous musical export. A lot of people would like to think it's opera and other than a few areas like other than that song and a few other ones, um, I think it's safe to say that the, the most famous musical export out of Italy is definitely the Neapolitan uh, songs we're speaking of. In fact, so much so that a few years back, the mayor of Venice called, had a meeting with all the gondolieri, all the gondolier drivers, you know, riders or whatever. They said, okay, guys, we have a problem. Um, how come on all these gondolier rides, you're playing all music from Naples, from Napoli, Neapolitan? We're in Venice, so you have to play the Venetian songs. At which point the, the gondolier looked back and said to the mayor, what Venetian songs? <laughs> you know, 
Italy has Venetian songs. Every yeah. region has their own music. You know, I'm Sicilian and we have our Sicilian mm -hmm. songs as well. But the, the most famous of all the regions, of course, Neapolitan, so much so that the entire world wants to hear Osole Mio, Funiculi, when they get on a gondola, Funiculi, Funicula, Santa Lucia. Definitely. Which was originally uh, written in Neapolitan and then changed to Italian. Mm -hmm. Um, um, uh, and, and we could keep going. You could make the argument that the song Mamma is uh, a Neapolitan song because the composer um, Di Bixio was uh, uh, a Neapolitan who, who learned, uh, never studied music. He just grew up in Naples listening, you know. I, I think the word, I know in Italian, autodidacto, autodidact, I don't know the mm -hmm, word. Mm -hmm. um, you know, learned everything and became one of Italy's great song composers who wrote the song Mama. So if you go up north and tell them Mama is a Neapolitan song, they say, what are you talking about? Are you saying, it's an Italian song. Well, there are several songs like that. Non ti scordar di me is another one that we would call uh, canzone napoletana in, in lingua. You know, it was written in, in Italian because of the great standardization of Italian at that time. Okay, but the heart and the soul of the song of Parla mi d'amore Mario is Neapolitan. Monti scordar di me is Neapolitan. Mamma, is, the, the composer was, was Neapolitan for Pete's sake. So, so <laughs> uh, it, it, all roads lead back to Naples. It's, it's Not Rome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with that, especially in art, at, at least that much. Art right. and culture. Um, the yeah. side note in that, um, I want to take a side question here. Sure. A lot of Italians look at Neapolitan as the poor dialect. The, uh, you know, you spoke Neapolitan so that, you know, you, it's almost like a slang, like the gangster language. Uh, from what I'm getting, that Neapolitan is actually a love language in music it's a you can feel the passion come out and that you know uh, it's um go to net dirt i i don't want to say it because it's actually a really bad thing when you say it in italian but when go to naples it's like you know the, the term right when you yes. talk to the, yes. the trashy people go to naples <laughs> uh you know uh that that's what I'm gathering here is that Naples, we have a lot to thank for Naples. I've been to Naples. I actually find Naples far more interesting than Rome. And I think it's wild and the culture is so pure. And, uh, you know, besides the people who don't wear seatbelts right in and out uh, in their scooters on the sidewalk and, you know, the possible pickpocketing, that happens anywhere. But when you want to see the passion uh, at the heart of Italians, Naples is where it's at. I agree. I'm, I'm, it's one of my favorite places. And a lot of people don't realize that once upon a time, Naples was the Paris of Europe, mm -hmm. the artistic center of Europe. And, and that was really the golden age of, of Naples, where we had the great poetry. Um, Neapolitan, as so many people think, is just a little little dialect of, of Italian. And, and, and as you know, um, it's, it's not as a language. It's a real language. Um, UNESCO finally declared a language 
uh, a few years ago, but it was always a language. Mm -hmm. The Bourbon uh, kings uh, and queens spoke Neapolitan in the court. It was the official language of the court. So, so uh, they're not going to speak slang uh, gangster talk in, on, in the court, um, uh, as you very well know. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. Um, there was kind of a, you know, a whitewashing of, of Italian culture that was done pretty good. It was, forget about Italy and you're American now. So I can't tell you the amount of times people come up to me and say, oh, I, I wish I would have learned how to speak Italian, but my parents never spoke it to us. They only spoke it to themselves uh, and, and they never taught us. Uh, but Neapolitan is a beautiful, beautiful language. Uh, and it, it's a literary language as well, with many great poetic works were written. You touch on something, so I'll skip around a little bit on my uh, questions here to uh, go with the flow. Um, so, so much of my generation, and I'm pretty sure you're just a bit older than I am, um, your generation as well, uh, is part of the rediscovery generation. We are rediscovering our culture, rediscovering our language. My mother, uh, you know, first generation Italian American, her parents would speak the Italian in the basement with the uncles and their playing cards drinking. My grandfather had a bar uh, that, uh, you know, was so famous in New Philadelphia that, uh, you know, all they had to do is say the lounge and they knew exactly who, Henry Bardelli, you know, uh, that's who it has. Um, now it comes down to us. My grandmother has been gone uh, since 2004. Um, I never knew my grandfather because he died when my mother was 17. My mother learned how to speak Italian through the Godfather movie, ironically <laughs> enough. What kind of advice do you have for the rediscovery generation? That's, I love that term, rediscovery. I love that because yes, today it is, it's, it's, it's a badge of honor to be Italian. Once upon a time, as we know, uh, uh, it was not the case. It was not the case. We were the lowest of the, on the totem pole, as low as you can get. And we, and we got the lowest jobs and we were not considered uh, white. We were uh, uh, shunned. We were, uh, you name it. They thought we were all in the mafia, et cetera. Um, so, to answer your question about the rediscovery, what would my advice be is kind of uh, build upon what you already know. Because chances are some of these people from uh, the younger generations, they know four or five Italian words. Just that were passed down from, from yeah. and, and their Aunt Mary or whomever. I would say start there and build on that. I had a very good friend of mine, Professor Marcarelli from Yale, um, who used to always say, they asked him when he went back to New Haven, Connecticut, um, Professor, will you teach Italian language to um, the people that want to rediscover Italian? And he said, why? Why not teach them Japanese? Because the Italian that they know is not Italian at all. They're all Neapolitans or some version from Campania. So 
it would serve our neighborhood to rediscover the language that was the lingua franca in the area here at that time, which was Neapolitan. So I'd rather teach them Neapolitan. Of course, they didn't go for it. They wanted to teach Italian. They said, well, might as well teach them French or Spanish. <laughs> the 15 words they know or phrases they know, Scola Basta and, uh, and uh, it's said Yamma, Yamma Jane and all this stuff in dialect, mm -hmm. uh, in Neapolitan rather. Um, why not build on what they already know instead of trying to teach them an entirely new language? So. That would be my advice from someone much more intelligent than I am. Find out where you're from. Let's start there. Where are we from? Are we I've already told you, and uh, I've done extensive uh, research myself, and I just invite everybody else. My grandmother is from the Molise region. The Molise region, I think, is the forgotten region of Italy. Everybody forgets there's something in between Puglia and Abruzzo. But there, there's just a there's there's a little more depth there, and then my grandfather is from uh, Lago Maggiore. Everybody knows Lake Como, but George Clooney's not going to come over and say hello to you on Lake Major. You gotta go, you gotta go and look at the other lakes too. <laughs> you know, it's a you know the lakes aren't just about George Clooney. Let's let's go and see what the people are about. A friend of mine goes there every year. My good friend Dick Peterson and his family. And he said that they, they passed an ordinance that you cannot go up to George Clooney if you see him out at dinner or something. They fine you. I don't Are know you kidding me? Heroes or something. I'm not kidding. Because he was going to leave. Because he couldn't go five feet without people hounding him. So now there's, a, there's an ordinance. You have the George Clooney ordinance. Interesting tidbit for the day. Just for people who want to yeah. catch it. Themselves, you know? If you ever find yourself up there, you know, don't don't go near George Clooney. Um, prior to, um, you were mentioning that you have students, and um, I always laugh. I've actually grown up with a hearing loss. Um, I partook in musical theater in high school, speech and debate, and at one point in time, I was told when I was in The Sound of Music that I shouldn't be one of the singing nuns because nuns always sing in key. <laughs> oh, that wasn't nice. Uh, God bless Mr. Hoffmeister, love him to death. And uh, his daughter was one of my best friends in high school. But, uh, you know, for those people, we, uh, you know, try to get them to do something else if you want, if you want everything in key. Um, but for those who can carry a pitch and are still aspiring, like your students, to go into the music business, how do you direct them, A, in their education, and B, through the process? Excellent question, Emma. So, so I teach them vocal um, technique, uh, which I learned in college, but my main teacher was a maestro. Uh, Maestro Luigi Vecha from Rome, may he rest in peace. And, um, and, and Maestro Vecha died, oh, we're going back to 2006 or 2007. But I had the benefit of studying with him for over 10 years in Italy and in New York City. And, you know, he died, you know, he was in his 60s, late 60s, I believe. So his teacher was in his 90s in the 1960s. Oh, wow. In Rome, one of his teachers. So you do the math on that. We're talking about someone from another time. So I had the benefit. And, and why am I bringing that up? Because 
there's so much vocal technique today has become like, you know, when you go on Amazon and they put those fake reviews and you get the product and it's garbage, you say, how did but they had good reviews? Or it's garbage. Well, that's what's happened, unfortunately. The watering down of true vocal technique. Okay. I was very lucky because I got someone who got it from the source. And really the big, the big change was when the microphone came out mm-hmm. somewhere around the thirties. And then we had, of course, the advent of the crooners. Before that we had Al Jolson. Mommy. Hello. Hello. My man. No. <laughs> hey, you see the difference there? Yeah. yeah. Al Jolson used to sing with the Boston symphony with no microphone. So he had to project his voice. So the technique I was taught is how to project your voice over an orchestra in a theater with no microphone. So it's very different than what we teach today. Mm-hmm. A lot of, so, okay. Um, that being said, that's my, my technique comes from the old Italian school. Now, my students that I have are generally high school students, middle school. I have some um, more advanced, uh, more mature students as well. Um, and, but generally the bulk of them are younger. So I always tell them, you know, don't go into music as a major because, um, not to discourage anybody, but if they're going to want it, if they really want it, they're going to do it anyway. They're not going to listen to me. Yeah. 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 As I've said many times in master classes and parents say, should I have my child uh, have a backup? Uh, (laughs) and I say, um, yeah, I said, but if they really want to do it, they're, they're not going to listen to you or me. They're just going to do it. So, so, but do I recommend? No, because why? Learn the technique from a great teacher. When you're on Broadway doing that audition or wherever you are doing that audition for your role to get that role in the Broadway show as a lead, they don't care that you majored in voice or majored in brain surgery. All they care about is what comes out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. So why not major in something that you know you can have a degree and something that when you graduate, you can get a job and pay off these lo- ridiculous loans that, that cost to go to school. All along, right? All along studying with a teacher. And maybe before you start your career, after you graduate from your four year plus your, your two years master's or whatever. Maybe before you start that, you start working in the real world as it were. Maybe you go do a summer of auditions in New York City or wherever and see how good you are. Mm-hmm. And maybe you get a six month tour of an off-Broadway show or something and you get it out of your system. Or maybe you just get a lead role and then you go and you do ride that out for 10 years, five years, whatever, put the money away. And then you go start your whatever degree you decided to choose career that you can always fall back on. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I, I tell my students to go. But there are some that want to do voice majors and I, and I encourage that. I do encourage that. I say, go for it. Do, you know, it served me very well. A voice major degree is, um, or music degree is very thorough. You have to learn languages. You have to take movement classes, you, uh, it's, it, you have to know music history, you have to know music theory. These are all things you have to be able to meet deadlines. You have to pass English classes. Have, there are other things, it's not just music all day. So 
I'm not sure if that's what you were asking, but no, that's but, the way I went with. but my sister is actually an instrumental uh, music teacher. So that's much of what she experienced herself uh, with it. And she's like, she tells her students, if you are passionate enough, whatever I tell you, it's not going to stop you. Right. You know, but what I can do is I can give you the foundation from here and you can take it beyond and do whatever you shall like with it. So much the same with it. And that, that actually was a, a question from her uh, because she was in that audience too, listening to you that, uh, that day in 2005, but she is a music teacher in um, Virginia beach now. Wow. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. So she, you know, music, um, you know, I may not have been able to carry a tune. However, uh, everyone in my family just to, uh, to bow to the music gods, <laughs> we all played an instrument. I played uh, the clarinet and the violin, and I took that all the way to, uh, to university as well, because with, the, uh, with that, you get scholarships too. That's the um, other. That's the other reason I say. Yeah. Lessons. Yep. So yeah, I can't. I can't say no to music because it also is. It teaches you so much more. Teaches you how to read in a completely different manner than just reading a book. Because music is a language in itself as well. Uh, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, not just those spoken words, but the notes is a language in itself. Correct. And, you know, science backs this up. As we know, books like the Mozart effect, uh -huh. Mozart for contemporarily raise your IQ. Um, it helps with uh, motor skills for young children that are still developing their brains, etc. And also Einstein attributed, who was a very, very, was really in that gray area between amateur violinist and professional. He was a very accomplished violin player. Mm -hmm. He attributed some of his greatest discoveries to his music, and there was a definite correlation, according to Mr. Einstein. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no music is good stuff. <laughs> you have a tenacious spirit of touching so many people, just like how I shared with my mother. Um, and you've touched on it already of going into some of these uh, nursing homes, um, retirement homes, etc. Uh, I wanted to touch on something because I was trying to refresh my memory on what you do and where you're going with your music right now. Um, a scholarship has been created called Diane or Diana's Song. Yes. And I thought this was outstanding. We've already touched on music and how it can help in uh, certain disease states, et cetera. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Sure, I sure can. So, um... Well, when I'm not traveling the world and doing singing in theaters uh, all over the country and uh, places like Carnegie Hall, I've done two sold out shows there. I work with the group, the Sicilian Tenors. Um, we're very excited because we're gonna be releasing a, a national PBS special this year. So keep your eyes out for that. And we're very excited about that. And we tour the country regularly as well. Um, my mother always told me, you know, Aaron, if God gives you something, a gift, you have to give it give back. Life is a circle. And I've certainly been given so much from God and from other musicians and people. So um, I got a call a while ago now uh, about from a, a, a lady. I, excuse me. I went to sing at, a, at, an, at an old folks home. 
beautiful, nice high-end place in Rochester, Michigan. And when I was there, I set up my speaker and my music and my sound system, et cetera. And I was singing and it was kind of like an open house type of thing, but people were, were paying attention. They really enjoyed it, especially that age group. Well, there was one lady that came and sat right next to me and she just smiled and smiled. And um, she was just so sweet. I never forgot her name was Diana. Diana. So uh, time goes by, maybe six months or so, and I get a call, a call or an email from her daughter, one of her daughters, saying, Aaron, um, mom is taking a turn for the worse. I don't know if you remember us, if you remember mom, but uh, blah, blah, blah. And they told me that, you know, et cetera, one, two, three, ABC. It reminded me of the home. And I said, of course I do. Of course I do. How can I forget that beautiful woman and her beautiful smile? She was like, just so sweet. So she said, well, would you consider um, coming to her house and singing for her because it's not, it's not looking so good for mom? I said, absolutely. So we arranged it and, um, you know, she said, you know, normally what do you, what do you charge for this kind of thing? And I said, well, I, you know, I really feel kind of funny charging anything. It wasn't a big deal. I was on my way to another job. I only sang a few songs and so they, they said, well, we're, you know, we're going to give you this. And I said, well, thank you. That's very kindly, very kind of you. They called again. I said, let me know. Keep me in touch with mom. Well, mom was in bed when I got there. Excuse me. No, she was in a, she was in a wheelchair. She just became reanimated when I started singing to her. Emma, it was really quite amazing. And she wanted to get up. She wanted to dance. I mean, they couldn't believe it. They, uh, we don't, uh, you know, with, with her affliction, what she has, it's, you know, we have good days and bad days, but this was like something unusual. Again, the power of music, right? So I said, please let me know, keep me posted about mom as, as this develops. So I got another email from, from the daughter and she said, you know, it, hospice is involved now. You know, we're not sure about mom. I said, no problem. As soon as I'm free, I'll do it. And I think the next day, next couple of days, I was able to be over there. I went there. She was in bed this time. Again, she come, she's what's coming out of the bed. She's singing. She's, uh, I mean, it was amazing. It was just absolutely gives me the chills to be a part of something like this, to be the instrument of that. So then um, the next day, I think it was, or the next couple of days after mom passed. Mm-hmm. I sang for the, for the funeral, for the mass. And she said, Aaron, what can we, what can we do for I said, nothing. I don't want anything. It's just, this, is, this was for your mother. I have a mother too. I only pray that one day when it's my mother's time, she can find comfort and solace in something like your mother found with music. And so between the, the sisters, they decided to start this scholarship. They said, well, we're going we're gonna to do something for you for your teaching. So they started to seeded the scholarship um, very, very generously. They um, started the, this, this scholarship. And what it is, is a way for me to go to schools, districts, et cetera, that I, that I work with, private students, reach out to the choir director and say, hey, do you have a student with talent that maybe didn't have the means to study, but was very deserving, study privately, vocal performance? 
sure, we have um, you know, Bobby over here that they, they just, for whatever reason, they weren't able to afford it, et cetera. And we're able to give them a block of lessons, mm-hmm. a month worth of lessons, four lessons, or two months, or whatever, whatever it is based on that. So it's brought so many more people to music that otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity. And I'm working with some students now still because of the scholarship of, of Diana and it promotes her memory and what she loved so much. So it's, it's just a, it's a win-win all around and I'm honored and humbled to be a part of it. It's outstanding. Um, Service-oriented people are pure people out there, um, you know, teachers, you going into the nursing homes, because too often uh, when we have that happen, um, that's it, you know, done, dusted, we write it off, et cetera. Life still has so much more to give even in the end of days. Yes. And even past that too, in memory of that, may their memory be eternal. Uh, you've said that so many times here. My husband says that too a lot, um, uh, you know, with that. What kind of legacy will you leave behind? And that's something that has drawn me to um, be honored to even have you inter- or interviewed today because that, that's something that has been ingrained in me. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? You know, I don't want to be the bitter Ebenezer Scrooge. I want to make an impact, uh, even in the, the smallest of ways. You just made the, you know, you made Diana come to life for those few moments and let the those family members have those few moments of memory to hold on instead of keeping the memory of, well, she's dying, she's passing, everything's gone, that they can hold on to that so that it makes it easier to move forward with it. Um, it's outstanding. I, again, I can't uh, say enough. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's something I was taught by my yeah. parents and by other uh, musicians that came before me. I saw how they were, how generous they were, my friend Nina Pane San Severino was so generous with her time. I mean, these are obligations. It's like no brainers. Yeah. These are the yeah. things that if God has given you something to give it back, like what you're doing, I, I applaud you. So for what you're doing for our culture, because this rediscovery, I love this. I really love Pass this. it on, pass it on. Because in, if we want to keep our heritage alive, we need to rediscover what we have lost due to assimilation. We've talked about it. We have assimilated probably too well. Too much. You know, I I was joking around in one of my prior interviews. I said, there's a little bit more to Italian American than Olive Garden and Pizza Hut. (laughs) Uh, You know, I've been abroad And, uh, you know, many, many, many times. And the people, the very American people that I've been abroad with, are they'll see an American restaurant chain abroad. Of course, it's a business, it, it's economy, et cetera. It's gonna happen, you'll see it. They're like, oh, I wanna go there. That That's what I know. But there's so much more than that. You, you know, it, it's so interesting. I think the first thing that the rediscovery generation should do is find out, you know, trace their last name, find out what part of Italy, General Park they're from, 
Um, and then if they can find out what city, and then, and then you become like, becomes a game. How much can I find out about? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I'm now called uh, Datora de Ohio. In, uh, my grandmother's village. I, I've gone back so many times. I'm actually working to get my dual citizenship. Wonderful. Um, so, uh, you know, I've researched it enough that I can do it. And I want to do it through my grandmother's village. You can choose which side you want. Yeah. As I've gained so many friends and I, you know, love the area, et cetera, from being there. But it's, that's what we need to do. And I tell people, I'm like, uh, you know, if you want to support, um, you know, different areas, and we got into this uh, during the pandemic, supporting local businesses. How about support like local businesses that support Italian importation of foods, support music, um, support or Italian local restaurants, Italian American local restaurants that are struggling. You know, let's keep them alive because that's part of the Italian American heritage here. <clears throat> And those they, are the people who help build here too. Yes, and we we see that we we see the uh, the impact of, the, of those early Italians that came here and built this country. Really, um, it, it's such a beautiful thing. You know, we we don't think of um, you know, for example, talking about we were talking about Neapolitan before or a Sicilian. Um, common words that we hear in English that have kind of been absorbed that are yes. Neapolitan, such as arugula, uh, which the Italian speakers in the audience will know that it, in the Italian, you say la rucola, rucola. In the Neapolitan, the article gets replaced by an A, arugula. It becomes arugula, uh, like paste fazul instead of pasta e fagioli. Okay. These are the differences between Neapolitan and an, an Italian, standard Italian, which of course is the uh, based on the, uh, the Tuscan dialect, you know, really of, uh, of, of, of Italy. But I'm also, you know, I'm, my background is Sicilian, so I, we, we grew up with that, that dialect. Uh, it's actually a language, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up with um, a mix of, uh, my grandmother used to say she spoke Polish on the streets, Italian in the household, and English in the classroom. Uh, oh. So, uh, like, <clears throat> when she grew up here in America, it's, it kind of got majpaged, but uh, the Vasto Girardi, where she, her family is from, the Vastesi dialect, uh, because it's not considered a language per se, because it's just particular to that village. <clears throat> yeah, when I went to uh, the village, I had to tell people, I'm like, I'm, I know standard Italian, but I, what you're speaking, I've never, like I had not heard that since she had been alive. And I'm like, you're, you make me nervous. I can't even say anything. I would clam up and I'm like, I'm like only English right now. I'm not. <laughs> But, but it's part of a part of our story that, that we need to know. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, your advice for the, uh, for the rediscovery generation. What does it mean to be Italian American to you, but also you're Sicilian American and I know many Sicilians will say they're Sicilian first, Italian second. 
It's um, it's interesting. Sicilians are definitely just like every region. You know, there there are unique traits to be Sicilian. Um, the ones that I know are probably not the ones that the masses think of when they think of Sicilians. Mm -hmm. uh, talking about the whole racism thing against uh, Italians and. Uh, um, I, I think, unfortunately, the Godfather movie has done great things for the culture, but it has also created um, a huge, uh, uh, you know, what we think of first, mafioso. That's all that we think of. When, uh, you're from Sicily, you're mafioso. And I, I think it's unfortunate. I, I agree. It, and it, it, not that it created it, because we know from Sacco and Vanzetti that they always thought of us as mafiosi from the minute we, we got here. And, and, and talking about the, you know, that horrible mass lynching, you know, which is the largest lynching on record. Uh, I don't know, 12 or 15 Italians were hanged or killed and, and because they thought they were, you know, dirty mafiosi or something. I mean, uh, it was always there. And we're going back to the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. And that, that episode actually uh, promoted uh, the first Columbus Day and celebrating Columbus. That's a whole other- uh, Whole, another episode. Yeah. yeah. We can revisit. But um, yeah, so, so it's always been there, unfortunately for Italians, but it, it did fuel it. And although it was artistically, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, the composer, Nino Rota is a great Italian composer. Unfortunately, all of all his symphonies and music, it's been reduced to, you know, which is a beautiful kind of folk Sicilian style melody, but some Italians don't even want to hear that. I mean, I, I remember doing jobs for Sons of Italy or different other Italian organizations to say, listen, whatever you do, don't sing the Godfather theme song because we don't want to promote those stereotypes. And I respect that. That's, I said, that's fine with me. Um, but it, 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 the shame of it is it's a beautiful melody and a beautiful song. And, and the, the, correct me if I'm wrong. It has root in the opera uh, La Cavalleria uh, di Rustica, correct? Um, Cavalleria Rusticana by Masciani yeah. was um, used in, uh, I believe it was Godfather 3. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so they use parts of it because, you know, very shrewdly, the the theme carried over i think uh, yeah you're gonna borrow let's borrow but but no nino rota wrote um as i understand it most of that music uh, was original stuff mm -hmm. but they also included that in the movie as a kind of side thing because the music is so it just lends itself to that whole thing because it was written for sicily of course mm -hmm. Rusticana takes place in sicily with the lead, the lead of the opera is Turidu, which is a nickname for Salvatore in Sicily. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, and I forgot Alola is the always yeah. what is what he wants, and then the lead. I, I get mixed up some, but I remember Turidu because I sing that art. I should know. <laughs> but how do you? 
show your Italian passion, your Sicilian passion, or just your Aaron Caruso passion <laughs> to those who meet you to allow them to see that, you know, Italians are not just mafioso. They're not just, uh, you know, pasta eating, dagos, uh, you know, et cetera, stereotypical derogatory terms. Well, I, I've known a lot of Italians that never passed the first grade. Mm-hmm. And those same Italians I'm talking about, some are still with us, some are not, are some of the most intelligent people I've ever met. Um, the Italians, in lieu of formal education, they had uh, oral traditions they passed down in their proverbs. Their proverbs were actually a form of schooling, it was a form of education. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, uh, you did something bad, you know, and then I look at you and, and, then, and then the person next to me goes, fish stinks from the head. So don't look at Emma, let's look at her mother and see the reason why, you know, <laughs> you know, these little things, nobody's gonna tell you to clean your face so you look better than them. Yeah. And uh, my, I had a friend of mine, was Neapolitan, said, Nishuna di dice lava vaccia, a particubile day. Make you, make him, no one's going to tell you to wash your face. So you, you go out with your girlfriend, pre marriage, of course, and you got a big old piece of Italian no sauce. No one's going to want you. <laughs> your girlfriend's not going to tell you, hey, you got a piece of Italian sauce. Why? So you're going to look prettier than her? <laughs> That's the origin of the same. But think about that yeah, for yeah, a minute, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But these, this is the kind of logic that was passed down in lieu of school. And they go much deeper than this. But they tell you about life, really. I had a friend of mine, his father never spent a day in school in his life. And he, and he told his son, listen, I don't want you getting on the train in Long Island and going to the, the ocean. I don't want you going to the beach today. No problem. No problem, Dad. What'd the kid do? Got on a train, oh, anyway. went swimming. They can't find the kid. They're going crazy. They send the police out. Nobody can find this kid. They send the police all over the place. Finally, the kid comes home at, late at night. So where the hell were you? He says, oh, I'm sorry, Dad. I got lost. I got lost in uh, New York and blah, blah, blah. And nobody knew where he was. The father said, what did I tell you? He said, I, he said not to go to the beach. He goes, I didn't go to the beach, Dad. I didn't go to the beach. She says, oh yeah, give me your arm. The kid stuck his arm out the day, I went like this. Pow! <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, these are little clever stories, but I gotta tell you, some of the smartest people I've ever met are Italians. And what the Italians have done, learn your culture, learn our culture, learn our history. I was talking about ballet. Ballet was invented, balletto was invented in Italy. Okay, the French took it over, but it was invented. Opera was invented in Italy. Learn it. We didn't invent pasta, but we perfected it. Right? Thanks yeah. to Marco yeah. Polo. Uh, uh, there's so much to Italy. There's so much history. There's so much behind these songs. So much more than, oh, that's, play some of those little folk ditties that you, well, they're not folk songs. They're actually art songs. All those Italian Neapolitan uh, Wey Marie, 
uh, Vicino Mare, which is really called O Mare Nariel, O Sole Mio. Um, uh, Way Marie is actually called Marie Marie. Torna uh, Surriente, um, all these songs. They're not Santa Lucia, they're not folk songs. They are art songs. They're closer to operatic arias than they are to folk music. Folk music is anonymous. This is not great composers, great poets like Salvatore Di Giacomo, who, again, to quote the great uh, Professor Marcarelli, said, had he written his poetry in a major language other than Neapolitan, he could be the equivalent of, or would be the equivalent of a Nobel laureate in poetry. This is poetry that was written in Neapolitan, which some people think is hillbilly Italian. It's not. It's not. This is stuff with great history. The king spoke it for Pete's sake. You know, this is great stuff. So if they look, it's there. If they want to go for the obvious, it's there too. That's the thing about Italian. How deep do you want to go? Because the Italians can go all oh, they're like onions. There are many, many layers to Italian culture. How deep do you want to go? You make a point, and as um, we get towards wrapping this up, I'll say this. Um, I've always told people, get beyond the main piazza, go down the side street, because there's more detail that you may lose if you just stick to the main area. Too often, I've seen this, and I have traveled a lot, too often I see people behind their iPads taking pictures, look through the lens beyond what you're actually seeing on the screen and see what you're missing. Excellent. So I'll leave it at that because I think we could go on forever as all do Italians. So we could carry a conversation um, endlessly. I wanted, I wanted to, that's true. Yeah. I wanted to mention one thing. So your family's from Vasto Girardi. See. Si. Okay. I'm a big, uh, I was chosen to play Mario Lanza on Broadway. Yes. Years ago, it never ended up. We, we staged it with orchestra, then our producer died on us. But I've been a lifelong Mario Lanza fan who's uh, from Philly there. But yeah. his parents were from, uh, his mother was from, uh, he's Abruzzese, of course. His mother yeah. was from yeah, a yeah. little town called Tocca da Casauria, which I've been to. And his father was from a little town in Isernia called Filignano, which is about according to Google Maps, oh, 35 miles from Vasto Girardi. And, and, not, and it used to be part of, uh, of the, the Abruzzo region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Molise region, just as a quick tidbit for everybody, the Molise region is the newest region in Italy. There you go. So yeah. interesting. So, you know, you're, you're not too far off from the lines. No, no, no. Uh, it, you know, Vasto Girardi, the, the area, the, it, it's a, you know, it's a unique, it's on the path of the shepherds that would take their sheep and their cows down to Puglia. Uh, great cultural heritage of cheeses. Cacciacavallo is well known in that area to be made. Uh, you know, I, and I've only seen the surface, uh, you know, I, I think being here and having a pandemic has caused me not to be able to dig deeper into it, but I, I have done this. I went, first went abroad in 2009 when I studied abroad and, you know, that's not too long ago. That's only, um, what is it, 22, no, 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 take that back, not 22, 12 years, I can't do my math. 
12 years. It's like, come on, you know, and I don't go all the time. It, people have the capability of doing it. Don't just stick to the main piazzas. There's more than just uh, Roman pizza, Caesar's tomb, the Vatican. Right. Uh, there's more than just, uh, uh, you know, a pizza in Naples uh, or, or the gondoliers in Venice right. or the Leaning Tower Pisa. Right. Take, a, take a moment to go deeper. Take a moment to go deeper to first A, to see the, the, uh, uh, the diversity of Italy, but also B, the diversity, I think, of your heritage as well. Uh, you know, and see what you, because you can almost create what you like too and create new traditions to pass down as well on that, like pass down what you love, but also create traditions, your traditions to pass down as well with that. The best trips I've taken Italy and I've been over 10 times on many concerts there in Rome and and, uh, Sorrento, et cetera, are when I got off the map and just went. Every little town has its own five, six, seven hundred year history. Go, go, you can go anywhere and you find it. It's, it's, it's. There's so much diversity there to it. Um, so if you're willing, Aaron, um, would you be willing to end the episode on a song of your choice? Oh, I'd love to. Sure. I'll end with a little snippet of, uh, talking about Torna Sorriente. That was the first song I ever learned how to sing written by the composer is, uh, Ernesto de Curtis. I hope that the sound is okay. And I'll start with the end. hospitalita Aaron Caruso I truly appreciate it and if and whenever you have a chance to come back to Northeast Ohio or um, I'll see you in the piazza in Italy well I'm coming there to Warren Warren Ohio for their Italian oh festival. for the festival yeah yeah is- okay then I have to look up the date 14th 13th and 14th, I believe, whatever this Saturday, Sunday is. I'll be in Ohio of August. Okay, then there's the date there for anyone who's listening who wants to make their way up there. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and I'll stop the recording here.